0: Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are in Romans 8, 17 and 18 today. Suffering and glory part 3. These verses apply to everything a Christian experiences in this life. Accepting present suffering as we anticipate future glory. And if you navigate suffering well, present suffering well, you'll be focused on future glory. If you're able, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read God's word. I invite you to stand, what a privilege it is to open up our Bibles and read the Word of God. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Lord, I pray that you'd open up our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word today, all for your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you're a Christian, you know what is true as we suffer this life, and I use that phrase suffer this life really as code for just living this life. We are breathing smog-infested air, it's hard to breathe. We are navigating sin-infected relationships. It is hard to relate. But we know the truth. We know that Jesus took the cross and redeemed us by his grace, by which he is making all things new. We believe and we dwell in gospel truth. We're part of the adopted church committed to accepting present suffering while anticipating future glory. And verse 17 tells us, Provided we the body of Christ in local churches, regular gatherings of believers devoted to the Word of God, celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper, practicing church discipline, committed to common life and mission, led by humble leaders, provided we suffer with Christ. We know as believers the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We are going through at what verse 17 calls the sufferings of Of this present time, that's every earthbound challenge to Christians from regular human suffering to living in a sin-tainted world to suffering for Christ, suffering for your your testimony of faith in Christ. We know that we need to find our joy in Christ in the midst of that. We know we need to foster unity in the church we belong to, fight fear of suffering by obedient faith. We know we need to forget about ourselves, which is so hard, isn't it? and we need to be resolved to finish the race with Christ in sight. For the past several weeks we've been talking about the suffering and focusing on the suffering. Today we focus on glory. Today we will see what the glory to be revealed is and how dwelling on it makes a difference in your life. What is the glory to be revealed and what difference does dwelling on it make? Verse 17 says, Provided we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Glorified there, it's the only time in the New Testament it's used like that. And it is also a passive word. Something is being done to you. If you're a Christian, there are some things you know. You know that you've been justified by grace through faith in Christ. And you know that you are being sanctified, and you know that you will be glorified. And either all of it is true about you, or none of it is true about you, because in God's salvation economy, they all go together. You're justified, God brings you through a process of sanctification, and you will ultimately be glorified. Verse 18, Paul says, I consider, I've been thinking about it, I know this is true. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. Some Bible translations will say the glory that is to be revealed in us. Different translations have translated it different ways. One, if an amplified version says this. The sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us, and conferred upon us. Another translation says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Another translation says, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing, so less than zero, compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. Verse 17 says that if we're children of God, we're adopted children of God, then we are heirs. There's an inheritance that is ours. Now, back then, laws enabled an adopted slave to inherit his master's possessions. For a Christian, we have been slaves to sin. Now we are children of God and therefore heirs. There's an inheritance. Now, the Jewish practice gave the inheritance only to the firstborn son. Roman law, though, divided it equally amongst all the children. That's what's being applied to us here when we're called joint heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ. We share in his sufferings, we know that's the cost of discipleship, but the bright side is it leads to being glorified with Christ. The proof of future glory is that we suffer. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me, verses 6 and 7, gives us some insights into Of the suffering and the glory. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while. Now that could be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in your case. In God's economy. Now for a little while. If necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. So you're going through trials. He's writing to a suffering church. I am speaking to a suffering church. You're suffering in all sorts of ways. Some people are, are, it's very obvious to see how you're suffering. and others, it's more hidden. But you've been grieved by various trials. And then verse 7 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. So your faith will be tested to be genuine. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. And it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God the Father appointed God the Son, heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 2 tells us this. And so every child of God, you don't need to worry about getting cut out of the will. Every child of God will receive the full inheritance with Christ. And here's what we will inherit. As heirs, we will inherit life. Titus 3, 7, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, but we will also inherit glory. Romans 5, 2 told us that through Christ we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice, even in the midst of sufferings, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Christ in us, as Colossians 1, 27 says, is our hope of glory. In John 17, 22, the Son, God the Son, is praying to God the Father, and Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, to believers, that they may be one even as we are one. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, in future weeks, we're gonna be going through deeper into this passage, and we're gonna even go down to verse 25. And what you notice in verses 18 to 25 is Paul is dwelling on future glory. He is very fixated on it. He is very intent on, on explaining it. And what he is doing is he is expanding on something he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said this before he wrote Romans in 2 Corinthians 4:17. He said. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so now in Romans 8, he is expanding upon what he said there. So we need to talk about the glory of God. If we're going to talk about what is the glory to be revealed, we have to talk about the glory of God. We need to understand and to grasp what is God's glory. God's glory is the ultimate, highest good, and he always works for his glory, and he wants his children. Changed by and displaying that glory. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens are telling or declaring the glory of God. The word glory occurs over 300 times in scripture. But you add derivatives like glorify and glorified as well as verses that tell of the glory but don't use the word. That count swells to 500 to 1,000 references to God's glory. Now, I think that glory is a little like a grease pig. It's hard to get a handle on. Glory in the Bible we know is an important word. Uh, Glory in the biblical sense is something we need to grasp. But I've been thinking about glory like week in, week out recently. And I I, I stand before you today uh, and I'll tell you, I, I feel like I can barely grasp it. Glory in the biblical sense gives perspective to our values. It calls us to deeply worship God. In the Old Testament, the word for glory comes from the Hebrew word kabod, which means heavy or weighty. It also is related to the word beautify, but it it, it points us to how worthy God is of our praise. The New Testament Greek word for glory is doxa. It's used 167 times. And, And sometimes it's applied to people when it's used In regards to people, it's focusing on the opinions of people about other people. The value that we place on other people based on their accomplishments. Now, the Greeks' highest goal was to be honored by other people. That's that's what they worked for. Very similar to us, it seems like. But what happens is, when you start to grasp the glory of God... Everything that you consider great pales in comparison. We will call people great because of maybe how they play football or how they can sing or what they can do. And it might not match up with their character, but we'll still call them great. But what we consider great, humanly speaking, pales in comparison to the glory of God. Human glory is subjective. You know, well, I think that person is great and we might attribute that wrongly. God's glory is objective. It is based on objective truth. Human glory is based on the evaluation of people about other people. God's glory is rooted in his nature, who he is. So when you recognize God's glory, everything you take pride in seems to fade away. When the translators of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, They chose doxa to translate the Hebrew kabod, and and seriously, what happened there is glory as as mere human opinion was transformed to glory as the majesty connected to God's revelation of himself to us. The world, and, and we are impressed by appearances, aren't we? Wealth and position, and we equate that to glory and fame, but but. People left and right, and many of us are are desperately seeking, you know, admiration or approval or attention of others. But when you became a Christian, if you're a believer, and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, you believed he died for your sins in your place on the cross, you believe he was buried and rose uh, rose from the dead on the third day, you believe that he's coming again. If that's you, then when you became a Christian, you received a different set of values. Now, sometimes we don't operate by those values, but when you became a Christian, you were handed a different set of values to which you you realize true glory is found only in the splendor and magnificence of God. Glory is who God is and in and of himself as God, what he does. We talk about the glory of Christ. That's who Jesus is, his magnificence, his greatness, his majesty, his fame as God. He has independent, self-contained glory, the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. John 1.14 says we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you get into Romans 8, and what you realize is we are said to be glorified. That should make us shake in our boots that we would somehow receive the glory of God. We are said to be glorified in verse 30 of Romans 8. And yet we are are told in verse 17 that we are yet to be glorified, future to be glorified. And what that means is that positionally, You're glorified, you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, uh, but it will be fully realized in the future. It's guaranteed. Ephesians 1, verse 13 says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So, as a believer, you are—you belong to God, you are indwelt by God, and He wants you to display and reflect His glory. John 1.15 says, "Of His glory, of Christ's glory, we have all received and grace upon grace." That God is showering you with His grace. It's like a river, and the, and the water is God's grace, and it's just grace 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 all the way through and it meets every need every need what is the glory to be revealed verse 17 says we will be glorified verse 18 says that the glory to be revealed you know it's going to appear what is it now it's rooted in god's redemptive work in christ the glory to be revealed is quite simply our being glorified. It's, it's pointing to the resurrected bodies of Christians. Our glorified, perfected state, where we will be like Christ. Uh, this will be revealed yet future. The glory to be revealed, rooted in who God is, and what he does in our salvation, our justification, our sanctification, and ultimately our glorification. Now here's why. You look in the immediate context in Romans 8, uh, and you see in verse 17, we will be glorified with him, with Christ. You see in verse 18, the glory to be revealed. But you go down to verse 21, and it speaks of the obtaining the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now look at verse 23. Verse 23. What does it say? And not only the creation, speaking of the creation groaning, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit... We groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, and here it is, the redemption of our bodies. That's what it's pointing to. The the glory to be revealed is the redeemed body and resulting Christ-likeness of believers. 1 Corinthians 15.47 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, so we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Philippians 3, uh, it says Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 1 John 3, 2 says, we will be like him and we will see him as he is. So the glory to be revealed is the resurrection of the body and the complete Christ-likeness that will be ours eternally. Now what difference should that make? Ought we to like take that, that idea and say, wow, that's, that's awesome, It's yet future. Let's go put it in the safe deposit box and leave it in the bank until we need it. Or do we use it today? And I'm gonna say that we need to use it today. This is what Paul is pointing out to us. He's saying, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. He's saying, think about the glory. Think about the glory. And what difference should dwelling on this glory make? Let's talk about focusing on the future glory. This is hard for us to do, okay? We're in the middle of life. There's a lot of things going on. It's complicated. We've got all these issues we're dealing with, and we're trying to work them all out in our head and trying to insulate ourselves and correct other people and try to figure all these things out. When God wants us focused on future glory, and it's interesting, it's amazing what, what you see when you do that. You focus on future glory, all the things you're worked up about, seem to come into proper perspective. So let's talk about this. I've got three three things I will share with you about this. Focus on future glory. The first is it eclipses our suffering. It eclipses our suffering. It doesn't take it away. It eclipses it. Your suffering's still there, but there's something greater. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Those sufferings are time-bound. There is an expiration date on your suffering." And only God knows. But suffering today is eclipsed by tomorrow's glory. We know God will keep his word. We know our hope in Christ is assured. Our hope is not wishful thinking. Our hope is based on fact. And we're going through this suffering. But we're to focus on the future glory. Because the future glory eclipses our suffering. John Piper said it this way. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory that you will get because of that suffering. God's going to provide glory all the sweeter, greater, more glorious, and it's laid up for you, a crown of glory. We know God makes beautiful things out of dust. We know we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. We know that God even permeates the fragrance of Christ through our suffering souls. As you suffer, 2 Corinthians 2 says that God always manifests the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere we go. You could look back on your life and you could say, wow, I see through my suffering how God generated benefit. I can see how God worked. I can see how He used that horrible thing to, to make me more like Christ, to develop my character. Paul says that the sufferings are not worthy to be compared. So he's saying, glory tips the scales immeasurably. You can't compare. Now you can't talk about the glory to be revealed without thinking about unbelievers. Because unbelievers are going to acknowledge the glory while being in abject pain and suffering and agony for eternity. Unbelievers have no idea the suffering to come due to God's wrath on them. So we ought to look very mercifully upon uh, the souls of of all we know who don't know Christ and appeal to them to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. I was talking to a man just yesterday for almost an hour, not a believer, worshiping false deities and and literally spending thousands of dollars in the process being led astray into worshiping false gods. We had a very kind and considerate discussion, and I was giving him the gospel, and I was was praying as I was giving him verse after verse that God would would break through his, his, his captive heart. And he walked away, as far as I know, not believing. But there will be, for believers, if you're a believer today, if you know you're saved, you know that you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not banking on your own good works, you're banking on gospel truth, there is going to be a glorious day of freedom for you. There will be a glorious day of freedom from all suffering for believers. Look with me over at Colossians chapter 4. Go there with me. The first four verses. Again, it gives us some some great insights into what we're talking about here. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, so now we're talking about the spiritual position of a Christian while they're living here on earth. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So all your problems, all your struggles, all your trials, all—even all your great things that are happening in your life—don't set your minds on those. The whole spectrum. Set your mind on the things above. That's very hard for us, isn't it? Our minds are set on the things below, and so it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's strenuous. It's—it's it's excruciating at times to set our minds on the things above. But it tells us the reason why. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So You've died to your old life, and your life now is with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Earlier on in Colossians, Colossians 1.27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I... I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and I was watching one of my friends who's a pastor uh, preach uh, via video yesterday. I was just watching an old sermon of his, and I I was struck, I was saddened by the fact that he was working himself up and and trying to explain as hard as he could something that was unbiblical. It grieved me. I thought, oh my goodness, I don't ever want to do that. The great thing is, as far as I can tell, what I'm telling you today is straight from the Bible. And it's accurate, and it's in context. It didn't come from me. I'm I'm just up here trying to explain it without getting in the way and obscuring the truth. So we accept present suffering with Christ because we are anticipating future glory with Christ. You might say, well, you know, I've worked my whole life uh, avoiding suffering. And, And part of that, I would say, well, you should. Like, for example... The fifth command, honor your father and your mother, okay? That was written to adults to honor their aging parents, but it's also applied to kids. And, and the idea is, and it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, right? Ephesians 6. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you will live a long life on earth. The idea is not a, prom- it's not a, a uh, surefire, like if you do everything right, you're going to live a lo- long, long life. It means you're not going to put yourself in harm's way unduly. You're not going to like do really crazy things to get yourself in trouble. So some suffering that we are trying to, to not have in our lives is good. Peter said, don't suffer as an evildoer. So keep yourself from evil. But the idea is that we cannot insulate ourselves from suffering, and suffering is the pathway to glory. And so you have assurance as you're suffering as a Christian that you're on the way to glory. You accept it because you're anticipating the future glory, but here's what what an unbeliever's doing. If you're not a believer, you wouldn't want to admit this. I didn't want to admit this before I was a believer, but it was true. There is a terrifying expectation of judgment for unbelievers. That's what the Bible calls it. So today, if you have a terrifying expectation of judgment, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. You need to actually believe the gospel message, So focusing on on future glory eclipses our suffering. It's like it just shadows it over. You're going through it still, but you're focused on on the glory. But here's what also it does. Second thing, it flips your perspective. Literally gives you a 180 on your perspective. It gives you a biblical perspective versus a humanistic perspective. Verse 18 says, the glory to be revealed can't be compared to anything we suffer. Now that's, if you think about it, a ridiculous contrast. Well, of course it can't be compared. The sufferings can't be compared to the glory. This is like the difference between an anthill and Mount Everest. Of course there's a big difference. It's like the difference between darkness and light, the difference between cold and hot, the difference between rich and poor, polar opposites. Think with me about 2 Corinthians 4:17, really which what Paul is saying here is based upon. He says this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He just says light and he put it with affliction. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Light is weightless, nothing like a feather, less than a feather. Affliction is intense pain and pressure. So think about the last time you went through intense pain and pressure, be it physically or emotional. It didn't feel light. And he's calling it light. He's saying it's weightless. It's nothing. Less than a feather. It's like a flea bite. But the affliction is an intense pain and pressure. And he says that the light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. A weight is a very heavy thing. And so what we see here is suffering is not like glory at all. We suffer searing pain of loss, we suffer scorching pain. But suffering now is not worthy to be compared to future glory. It's not in the ballpark. It's not worthy to be compared. Now, it doesn't mean it's worthless. Okay, not worthy to be compared doesn't mean worthless. God uses broken jars of clay to display his glory. God God is using many things to craft you into the Christ-like person he intends for you to be. But your troubles are like flea bites compared to future glory. They're annoying. They bug you. But there's no comparison. I think here's an amazing thing. I think it's the most amazing thing here. Look around, and what you'll notice is the world is not all gloom and doom. If you're walking around going, everything is bad, the world is gloom and doom, your perspective is wrong. But if you're walking around saying everything is good, nothing is bad, your perspective is wrong. The world is not all painful suffering. The world is not all just good stuff. But here's the deal. You look at the sufferings of this present time. Everything, okay, suffering this life, going through life in a a, a sin-infected world, you realize that in relation to glory, that it's bad. You should love everything God made and sustains and loves, okay? You shouldn't love the world system that denies God. But you should love what God graciously gives you to enjoy. Part of your love for him is saying, Thank you, Lord, for what you have given me to operate on mission for Jesus and the gospel. And I think it's it's sort of like how Jesus said that your love for your, your mother and father... Should seem like hate in comparison to your love for him. Now, we all know how much God wants you to love your mother and your father, but your love for Jesus should eclipse it. So, as you suffer this life again, code word word for everything in this life then all of this life can be considered suffering for a Christian in light of glory. And here's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing the normal Christian life, which includes extraordinary resources in Christ with which you can endure and sustain in the midst of horrendous pain and heartache and hardship. And at the same time, in Christ, you have immense joy that you can simultaneously experience in Christ as you're going through the suffering. There are so many people, and I can attest to this, when you say, wow, I I didn't think it was possible, but as I was going through my toughest valley, God was bearing me up, and actually he was giving me peace in the midst of it. Or I look back and I say, wow, look what God did when he used the toughest thing I've ever been through to, to forge my character in Christ. Look over with me at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 17 to 21. Paul says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Like, follow and imitate godly people. But then he says in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, so he's weeping as he's writing it, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, and their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their appetite, and they glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. The very things our minds are not supposed to be set on. Then verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. So our association, our, our membership, our, 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 our anchor is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So the one who is able to hold all things together by the word of his power also will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and he'll use the power that enables him to subject everything to him. Glory is not suffering, okay? Glory is not suffering. But any earthly good might seem like suffering compared to future glory. Glory is of God. Glory is from God. It is not sourced in us. We don't manufacture glory. We don't work it up. There is no glory apart from God, but our hope then is fixed on God, the God of all glory. Glory points us to God. Glory gives us purpose, uh, makes us trust Jesus. It really focuses us on trusting Christ and saying, I'm going to experience God's provision in my life and glorify him. And it assures you that he's in control. Let's say that you are are a person that maybe at this point in your life, you're, you're saying, you know, all I can see is the suffering. Maybe your perspective is that right now. It's because you're going through a, some deep waters. Or you've, been, you've been scarred even. And, and maybe, maybe all you can see is your suffering. But the assurance that God gives his children inspires you to not just see the suffering. In fact, I would hate to call anyone selfish in the midst of a deep valley. But what happens is when we get zeroed in on ourselves and on our suffering. What God wants to do is lift us out of that and get us involved with something beyond us. You know, in 2 Corinthians 1, it says that God comforts us in all of our affliction. Not just so we feel comforted, but so that we will be able to comfort others in any affliction. It's for ministry. So God doesn't want you to play it safe. God wants you to risk for the gospel in the midst of your suffering. The best people to comfort comfort others in a specific suffering are the ones that have gone through it themselves there's no comparison Uh, we are citizens of heaven first and foremost and we got to consider that truth Uh, your perspective that gets flipped in christ ought to be heavenly which makes you the most earthly good it's true your perspective ought to be heavenly and that makes you the most earthly good you focus on future glory. It eclipses your suffering. It flips your perspective. And then a third thing, it changes everything. It changes everything. The glory to be revealed, the, the glory of God seen in the face of Christ, the hope of eternal life, it changes everything. God is mercifully generating joy in your life via suffering. You can contemplate future glory, and you can even, you can even enjoy Present glimpses of glory right now. We can see glimpses, we can see flashes, we can see shadows of future glory as we behold the glory of God in the gospel, in Christ. Psalm 27 13, David is processing present suffering in light of future glory, which he does often in the Psalms. And David declares, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he's saying is, I I believe that I'm going to see it now, not just in the future. And I believe that God gives glimpses of glory now, that the sufferings you go through are shadows, and that the light of the gospel shines brightly in the life of a believer. Glimpses of glory sneak through the clouds of your pain. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, the road of sorrow is the road to heaven, but there are wells of refreshing water all along the route. I remember back in the 1980s doing some missions trips in Irian Jaya, Indonesia. And I remember being dog-tired walking through the highlands, you know, for eight hours literally at one point. But I remember coming to little springs along the trail and being so refreshed by the water that was there. Or little bananas that, are, that someone will give you and, and, and give you some energy. It's kind of like a marathon or a, or a half marathon or a 10K or a run to the mailbox if that's what you uh, Are going for there, but uh, a marathon, glimpses of glory, you can see the the finish line, but there's water stations along the way, and people are cheering you on, and giving you cool, refreshing water, John Owen, in, in in one of my favorite books, The Glory of Christ, said this, let us not bring dishonor to the gospel by thinking that faith in it, and obedience to it, bring only trouble, persecution, and unpopularity and not joy, peace, or assurance. Such thoughts are contrary to the promises of Christ. Go over to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said something very significant there. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, so that's why you left, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, There's blessings and glory now from God, houses and brothers and children and sisters and lands with persecutions. You can't take that part out. With persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. If you're like most of us, you're running at breakneck speed, you don't even know it's September. And you're unable to grasp the peace, the joy and the rest that we possess in Christ. It just keeps eluding you. Uh, We know we need to rest in the peace that passes understanding, but we have missing peace. The only way through that is to let God in the gospel break your cycle of constant turmoil. The only way for that to happen is if you set your mind, you set your heart, you set your thoughts upon future glory, not just what you're seeing going on here on earth. Glory affects everything. It shapes your living. It should shape your friendships and being a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or a parent or grandparent. You're you're growing into glory as a Christian. You have eager longing and the closer you get to the revealing, the more you should press on and never give up because God doesn't give up on you. He's preparing you for glory. The purpose of your life as a believer is not for you to arrive safely at death the purpose of your life in Christ is for you to die daily to yourself you will arrive safely not 1 millisecond before god has ordained through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of god and they say in the book of acts and some glory can be seen now in the gospel if you don't see the glory now you won't see the glory to be revealed if you don't see the glory now, you're not a believer. You believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He died for your sins on the cross in your place. I'll say it again. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. A believer sees the glory of God, reveals in the gospel of Christ, and relishes it and rejoices in it, and one day they know they will fully experience it. The glory to be revealed. See, everything changes. We're Peter put it this way, we're filled in the midst of suffering, filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What was the last time you went through, you know, a hardship and you said, wow, I am so joyful and I feel so filled with glory. Peter is talking to a church that's going through deep, deep persecution for their faith, and he says we're filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. See, your faith in Christ feeds on hope of future glory. Every thought and word and deed ought to be flavored by eager expectation of future glory. But I know how hard that is. We're all focused on today. We're all focused on our our life and we're not thinking about future glory. Thinking about future glory should change the way you interact with your family in Christ. The grudges go away. How about how you interact with strangers and and even the person that infuriates you? Changes how you see life. And then you think about the present privileges you have in Christ. You have present, present privileges as a child of God. It, it should remind you of the future ones to come. This summer, my family and I went to Hume Lake Christian Camps. It's where our high schoolers and junior highers go to, to camp in the summer. And, and we went there along with some other families from Grace and spent a couple days there. And I've got a good friend who runs the camp, and he sometimes sets me up with good friends of the camp benefits and like lodging and and, and we got a wristband when we got in there and my family got this purple wristband and I I noticed it was different color than what the kids got and I thought huh this is nice and I remember someone telling me well this will get you everything like free food free boat rentals free bike rentals just everything and so we got the free food but what happened was I I misunderstood it completely I go to the boathouse and I'm like I'd like to get my free boat rental and they're like not with the purple wristband. I'm like, oh, someone told me. They're like, no. I said, are you sure? You know, and the guy next to him says, just give it to him. <laughs> and I'm reaching for my wallet like, no, no, I, I got it. And they're like, oh, no, no, just go ahead. So I'm thinking they need to put a memo out you know, to the staff, like the purple wristband gets you the boats and stuff. But then I went back a couple weeks later with my family, and my friend hooked us up with the benefits for being friends of the camp which I don't take lightly, and they gave me these gold wristbands. Now, the gold wristband gets you everything, okay? The boats, the bikes, the food, and what have you. And I just, I just realized that the gold wristband surpasses all other wristbands at Hume Lake. But don't misunderstand your privileges in Christ. It's not glory yet. It's not everything, one gets surpassed by the other. One will be surpassed by the other. We've got these amazing present privileges in Christ. You have access to God. You get to pray and God hears you and he's, he's answering and the riches of his glory and the promised inheritance and his forgiveness and his joy and his love and his peace and his comfort and, and freedom in Christ and you're set free by the truth and you have citizenship in heaven and we can go on and on. You have present privileges in Christ, but there's future glory. So your real present privileges points to real, better, future glory. You're a child of God in Christ. He's your father. Heaven's your home. Every day is one step closer to home, folks. Every day, one step closer to home. And and did you think, have you thought about this? Jesus is your brother, and every Christian is too. Remind ourselves of these things when you wake up when you go to sleep instead of thinking about all your problems Think about the fact that jesus is your brother When You go into a meeting when you navigate a challenge The secret to, of you living content in this world is knowing there is something higher and more profound and better To come that's the secret of your christ-honoring life Not you worried about everything going on here But you focused on future glory that gives you perspective for what's going on here Then you can field some questions you can go, well, do I understand my adoption by God and cherish it? Do I know my privilege as a child of God? Do I, do I remind myself daily? Do I know how much God loves me? Do I relate to God as my Father in heaven? Do I love and honor and obey Him and fellowship with Him and do everything in my power to please Him? Do I see Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and my brother? Do I know that he is my authority and he also loves me and cares for me? Do you know how close Jesus is to you as a believer? How much he understands you? Future glory changes everything. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, here's what we read. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I hope your testimony is that God shined his light on the hidden recesses of your life and you saw your sin unedited. That God shines light into the dark corners of your life and you see your sin with clarity and his holiness too. Sin is not what it promised to be, it's deadly. Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. But God is merciful. You know, if he counted our sins against us, who could stand? Tim Keller wrote a book about marriage that I I believe fits with what we're talking about today. He wrote this book called The Meaning of Marriage. And within, here's what he said, within a, a Christian view of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you to be and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Now when Jesus sees you now, he says, "Mine." He says, "Forgiven." He says, "Beloved." And on that future day when the glory is revealed, Christ will be fully formed in us and he will say to his bride, I always knew you could be like this. I was making you like this. Look at you. You are radiant. You are beautiful. And we will praise the glories of his grace forever. The resurrected bodies of Christians are glorified state and we dwell on that glory. It makes all the difference for living now. It makes all the difference. Whatever you're going through, whether you're in the heights of joy or the depths of grief, God is enough. I know suffering is not easy. I know that rejoicing and suffering can seem like an oxymoron. I understand. This is where the gospel gets exciting. We can take deep daily dives into the glories of the gospel as we focus on anticipating future glory. That God will give you by his grace to relish the glory to be revealed even as you suffer remember who was on the Mount of Transfiguration seeing God's glory? You know the five people that was with Jesus? It was Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah. All five of them experienced the glory of God in a deep, profound way, and it marked them. Moses, in the depths of deep discouragement, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, cries out, please show me your glory. He saw the glory of God He saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 1, called himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker, literally koinonia, literally fellowship of the glory that's to be revealed. Peter says the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories to follow were predicted by the prophets. Peter said to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Peter said after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What is interesting is that suffering and glory are repeatedly linked in Scripture and always in order. First the suffering, then the glory. First the suffering, then the glory. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace to fix our eyes on Jesus and focus on future glory. Thank you that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is not from us, but belongs to you. Thank you, Lord, that we are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And we thank you, Lord, that the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal weight of glory that you are preparing. We pray in Jesus' name, with thanksgiving. Amen.